0: Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. month for one of our departments here at the school which is our speech department so May was actually better speech and hearing month Um, unfortunately we couldn't get a podcast in because things were so busy Um, but we're gonna have this podcast now and so what I'm first gonna do is I'm gonna let them introduce themselves so we're gonna start with Ashley
1: Hi
2: everyone, my name is Ashley Lyons. I'm the speech and
3: language therapy supervisor here at Rebecca School. I'm Courtney Ladder. I'm a speech language pathologist at the Rebecca School and I work with kids ages 7 to 21. Hi, I'm Tony Ann Loftus, also a speech language
4: pathologist at the Rebecca School and I work with kids 4 to 14. Hi, I'm Rachel Hammer. I'm a speech language pathologist at the Rebecca School also (laughs) and I work with kids ages 5
5: through 19. I'm Liza Bernabio, also a speech language pathologist (laughs) at the Rebecca School, and I work with kids ages 6 through 14.
6: And my name is Raquel Quinones, and I work with the bilingual kids as as their bilingual speech therapist, and uh, my kids are ages 5 to 12.
0: So now that we've done introductions, let's just start off with talking about speech pathology, and how it blends into the four-time model.
1: Sure, but before we do that, I want to elaborate on what Chris said. May was a very busy month for for our department, and some of the reasons why I think deserve a little shout-out. May is Better Speech and Hearing Month, which means we really try to get the word out about how important speech language pathology is, how important speech therapy is. Um, And how important this work is that we do with the kids. We educate families. We educate co-workers Um, We a bunch of us in the department presented out of different conferences in New York City A couple members of our department presented across the pond in (laughs) London Uh, locally we had a lemonade stand for the school, we hosted a lemonade stand for all of our students, which was a collaborative effort amongst all of us, and with the teachers and the kids. Um, so we had a lot of different things going on that uh, have kept us busy. But now we're here, it's June, but now we're, we're ready. Speech is still important. It's still important, <laughs> even though it's June. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we have 11 speech therapists in the department, we're a very big department, And we're fortunate enough to be able to work in the DIR, floor time model. Um, I think we all feel pretty lucky to be able to do that here. It's not a common occurrence for speech therapists. And to have the opportunity to work developmentally with our kids and really have the time and space to focus on a lot of early developing pre-linguistic skills with our kids, which are critical for the development of leader developing language skills and social emotional skills um so i think you know again we feel really fortunate to be able to do that we get to have a lot of fun and play and work collaboratively across disciplines at rebecca's school Um, and we also work with a wide range of types of kids we all of our students have challenges in relating and communicating Uh, specifically we work with kids with autism uh, Speech and language delays, hearing impairments. We work with kids with feeding impairments, um, picky eaters, global developmental delays, delays, different syndromes. Um, So we really see a wide range of students. Uh, They keep us on our toes and um, always keep us thinking and growing. Um, So I think maybe we could talk a little bit more specifically about some of the work that we do with these kids.
2: Um, I was just thinking about how speech pathology fits in specifically to the DIR model and something that I feel lucky that I get to work on with my students is allowing them to have their own voice and following their lead and what they want to communicate rather than setting my own goals for what I want them to say. Um, I think oftentimes speech could be directed about like expanding utterances to say, I want Apple or give me please. But what I want for my kids is to be able to tell me what they're thinking. And if it's not what I want to hear, so what? It's what they want to say. And I think it's really important um, to allow for them to advocate for themselves. And I think that that's what the DIR model aims for also.
6: Yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, I think that going along with the DIR model, but more specifically to like the developmental aspect of language is something that, like, because a lot of our kids are nonverbal, a big piece that I think a lot of the school um, might have a challenge understanding or even parents understanding is like the preverbal piece and that that's still a component, component to language. So I think we spend a lot of our day focusing on that preverbal piece. So, can you be more specific? <laughs> I was just going to elaborate. Um, so thinking about are they sharing attention with an through an object with you? Are they engaging in this activity? Are they looking? Are they smiling? Are they pointing? Are they gesturing? More specifically, we talk a lot about contact gestures, which maybe you've heard of, maybe you've seen, but if there's a cup on the table and or a bottle on the table that's closed maybe your child like brings you to the bottle like drags your hand to the bottle to ask you to open it rather than just pointing at the bottle Um, that pointing piece is then a next developmental step of having the symbolic language and comprehension that if I point you know what symbol I'm talking about Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you guys want to elaborate
5: yeah I think think too another big part of it is supporting like the staff and families and understanding why the pre-verbal piece is so important. um, because understandably a lot of people want to focus more on verbal communication, but we want it to be meaningful. So explaining and helping everyone understand why the pre-verbal piece is so important I think is another big piece of what we do.
2: I I like to think of preverbal communication as a foundation for language. Mm. And I think a lot about like students who have maybe developed one or two words, but they didn't have a strong foundation to grow those words on top of, and then the words might fall away. Um, a lot of times people talk about regressions, and I think that this happens when we don't lay that solid foundation of sharing attention, utilizing gestures, really engaging, and finding joy in communication, rather than just getting your wants and needs met.
3: And that makes me think about the DIR four-time model as um, you know, thinking about capacity one, two, three, we want to have a really wide basic capacity, one, in regulation and then two, engagement and relating, and three, to a person of soul communication. So we really want to build up on their communication skills as well as build up on their developmental skills. So that's why the DIR floor time model works out so great with speech-language pathology.
1: Yeah, And the model, in the, working in this model, we really get to harness the kids' passions and we make learning fun and <laughs> Help support them in becoming intrinsically motivated to communicate. Yes. And so we're playing all day, we're on the floor, we're having a blast, and um, we get to do so many fun things, either in the school or in the community, or running different food groups, or community groups, or sensory groups, or poetry groups.
6: Any, anything yeah. else? Yeah, yeah. yeah them. Shout them out. We <laughs> them all the so,
1: groups. So, all all <laughs> Um, Any group individual.
6: that hasn't existed, it will exist. Yeah, really we will. If you have an idea, call in. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: but I think that's one of the cool things about our job here. That. Um, You know, it doesn't look like traditional speech and language therapy. And I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, you teach kids to talk. But there's so many more things that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the feeding aspect of it, I feel like, you know, shout out to my family. Like, they were like, wait, you teach kids how to eat? And it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, that's part of my scope of practice. We also teach kids how to hear sounds. We teach kids how to communicate in the world around them. So it's really cool to be able to um, have that opportunity here.
1: Feeding is a really big part of the work that we do here. I don't
3: want to yeah. jump in. So Liza and I recently did a lot of research about the brain and <laughs> what that means for um, feeding. And um, we found a lot of information about uh, kids with special needs have an enlarged amygdala, um, have difference in motor neurons, have difference in like the brain stem. And so we have to sort of adapt to that and kids often see food and have a fight-or-flight visceral response. So we can sort of change that response in their brain um, by working in these specific areas, by having kids touch foods. Yeah,
5: and I think thinking of feeding also is developmental. So a lot of things that babies go through in typical development, our kids here either didn't get or didn't get enough of. Um, So still thinking developmentally when we're working on feeding, even with kids who are chronologically older, giving them those experiences to get messy and play and not have this pressure necessarily to eat the food.
1: Um, And as a department, we've done a really great job in creating opportunities within the classrooms and within our sessions for the kids to have these developmental experiences through cooking groups or messy play with food or... Um, sensory-based feeding groups and then that carrying over into the classroom where we support the staff in the classroom and, and the kids in having a community experience around food um, and every day just really building that mealtime routine into what they're doing and making it really pleasurable really fun, really joyful and again using their relationships with the staff and their peers to motivate them to want to eat and want to be near food and to participate in all these different activities that we have to offer them with a variety of foods.
4: Going, okay. Going off of that, um, every month there's a different community food. And I am just about to ask my <laughs> <laughs> your question. <laughs> this month is peppers. It's peppered this month. And Probably. so we so we um, structure our community food groups around the different food of the of the month and they're just fun groups where there's no pressure to eat the food. It's play The kids see their peers playing with the food. And maybe they'll on their own decide that they want to smell it or try it or, or touch it. And we really just don't put pressure on them to eat the food. We just It's a very play-based, sensory-based group. And it's really fun for the kids.
6: I know a lot of my kids, one in specific that I have in mind, he is very picky about what he puts near his mouth. Um, he's only ever eaten pureed foods by choice. Um, and this year through our, I actually do a community food group with Liza and we have three kids in our group and they're all wary to touch or smell or taste the food. But this child in specific is the first one at the table now, like touching the food and then bringing it to his mouth. And now he's actually trying to like bite the food. Um, so it's amazing to see that given in these sensory based, like non pressured activities, Um, over the course of the past year we've seen him go from like running away to being the first one sitting at the table. Mm -hmm. That's huge. It makes
3: me think of this morning I brought in the community food pepper into the classroom um, my younger class and I set it down and I was like I walked away we were trying to sit up and I turned around and like where's the pepper and a little girl who only eats three or four foods picked it up and ripped it into a thousand pieces And had little seeds like on her mouth and we thought that was so cool at the beginning of the year she was a girl that was rolling the apple across the floor that was just sort of like I need to get away from this thing and then she sort of snuck it around it was the first one to touch it no one else really got an opportunity after that but we were so excited for her and we're excited to share that with her family
2: Uh, I think an important part about what we do with the community foods is that we allow for a whole month to explore them and I try to think about like foods that I'm uncomfortable with. So like, <laughs> I don't like fish, I don't like octopus. I don't really know a lot about octopus. I can kind of imagine the texture, but it like scares I me. I feel like that makes it worse. And I've <laughs> never and I've you never touched it. Though. I've never hmm? Like, oh uh, no! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very not. good. It's, not We're really like, it's a
1: texture thing. Can we think
2: what month is so that? So what? So I would have <laughs> to do <laughs> is like yeah. learn about it. Like, I think if I was holding it in my hands and getting used to the smell, it would be less scary to put near my mouth. But that's always how I try to perspective take and be like, you need a whole month to explore and learn, and more than a month, mm, really. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you might feel comfortable bringing something to your so mouth cool. because you've, you, the smell is familiar to you now. You understand that the texture is crunchy and then it's a little bit less scary. I'm well, just
3: imagining a think. whole octopus in a hand. It's like uncooked and I'm uncomfortable about it.
5: I
2: also think <laughs> the food can
5: lend itself to like higher level thinking too, like problem solving for kids that are ready for that, yeah. like through choosing recipes and following recipes and figuring out what ingredients you need. So there, it really like, is something that can be used with kids who are working at all different developmental levels.
1: And it's so universal. It's. Weaved into all of our lives every day and how we're all, I mean, I'm always thinking about my next meal (laughs) and my next snack, and food's at celebrations, it's it's at family gatherings, you go out with friends, and there's always food around, and by helping our kids become more comfortable around food, we're also helping them be more comfortable in social situations and giving them tools for outside of here when they're out with their family. I feel
6: like too, like, yes, we're talking about a lot a lot about like food and feeding, but even within these like groups, we're like still very language-based mm-hmm. because they're getting exposure to new words, sequencing, like what are we gonna do first, what's coming next? Mm-hmm. The abstract thinking piece of what I do with the um, my groups at the beginning of the month is I'll give them clues about the food and they have to take guesses. At what it might be, so it gives them a lot of different opportunities, um, to, like to be exposed to different language within the classroom and around food, which so many of our kids have mm-hmm. aversity to.
4: And even the um, pre-verbal skills of like sharing attention and engaging yeah. is a huge part of our of our groups too. It's more of that. That's like the bigger focus than actually like completing our, our recipe. If the kids are not engaged, then mm-hmm. there's no forgetting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <it. laughs>
2: I think another important piece of mealtime of our community food groups and of our therapy in general and supporting language and feeding is also the idea of routines. I was just thinking, as Ashley was talking about, our students who didn't get to celebrate with their families or come to our mealtime table because they are picky eaters or because they had food aversions, and we've also focused a lot on like bringing out a tablecloth into the classroom, really highlighting the routine um, and the ritual that comes with food and with mealtime. Um, And now those students who might still not be engaging with the food are engaging with the routine and more comfortable and available for communication within the basis of the routine and then
6: structure.
0: And there's also something that's been like in my mind as you guys are talking is that there's like so many different ways to actually eat food. Yeah. Because I remember from when I was a TA, I could swear we had like peppers with hummus one week we and then somehow had like a smoothie if we're I can like, oh, recall I forgot or maybe I'm thinking of oranges <laughs> we had oranges one week and then we had like an orange smoothie the next week and it's just like there's so many different ways so to eat one do. kind yeah. of yeah
3: so cool and also like sh- huge shout out to like the staff of rebecca school like being a ta you guys mm-hmm. carry out our real-time routine every single day Like we might be in the classroom one two three times a week helping out but it's the every day of that routine that they're like carrying out so we appreciate all the work mm-hmm. that they do because um, it wouldn't be possible without them it takes a village it takes a village mm-hmm. and then one last aspect of what we do would be um you know, working with kids with hearing loss mm-hmm. um, that may be deaf or have some sort of like loss. Um, we work with kids that have a variety of hearing losses, um, conductive and sensory neural, and some of our kids wear cochlear implants. We have some of our kids wear Baha hearing aids, and, and that's pretty much it. We worked a lot. Do you want to explain a
6: little bit? Mm-hmm.
0: About Do you want to expand on that? Do you want to talk about like, yeah, like our listeners aids? might
6: not know like yeah. the cochlear implants
3: actually
4: look like look like yeah so it's an an external
3: and an internal part and the internal part actually goes through um, your inner ear which is your cochlea um, and it looks like the top of an ice cream cone it swirls up So um, some kids are born with cochleas that are not functioning, and some kids um, are born without hair cells or fluid in there. So for a variety of reasons, um, they can insert a tiny little wire that goes through that helps kids that have that kind of hearing loss, which is sensory neural hearing loss, um, hear. So they'll wear a magnet on the outside of their head, um, and that will help the sound move from their auditory nerve to their brain so they can hear sound. Um, and then a hearing aid will help with conductive hearing loss. So a kid um, has an intact cochlea that's working, but it's the outer or middle ear that has issues. So that will amplify the sound and then move th- through their ear so they can hear it and process it.
4: <laughs>
3: um, so we also work a lot with a deaf-blind coalition in New York, and they have been really incredible to come in and give us some, some information. We've also had an audiologist come in um, and talk to us about how hearing loss um, works. So we've identified a lot of these kids. Um.
6: And I feel like a lot of our work there. I'm thinking of one kid that we worked with specifically, Tony, and is kind of helping him, like through the different stages of understanding what he was hearing and what yeah. he wasn't hearing, and helping him identify and like localize the sound. So mm-hmm. knowing that a sound is coming from behind him versus in front of him and then him expanding upon, like, different sounds. And I know he would come to my office and take a pen and tap it on my table and tap it on my metal cabinets. And kind of, he, for a while, didn't understand that they were making different sounds, like you and I all would. But when it clicked, he was like, oh, it sounds different. So to kind of help him move developmentally in this, like, hearing hierarchy Mm -hmm. was really cool to see. And now he's telling his peers and advocating for himself something he wasn't able to do that was it was so dysregulating to him when he didn't understand what was happening and now he's able to say wait i don't know what you said or that was too i don't yeah whatever hear you what that
3: must have felt like for him to not be able to express that he wasn't under he could detect the sound he could hear it but he it was a cacophony of noise he wasn't able to detect that the sounds made words and those words made a sentence and that was something he could understand he's pretty incredible and while we're helping the
1: kids learn how to discriminate sounds and localize to sounds and really become better at listening and hearing um, we're also really cognizant of what their needs are day to day in the classroom and our speech therapists are um, really great at incorporating visuals into the classrooms either written language or pictures and incorporating signs into the classroom to help support the kids mm-hmm. in their day-to-day communication and comprehension. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that our label as a speech pathologist mm-hmm. is like misleading. It's so much <laughs> yeah. more. Yeah. Communication is like could be visual, could be through mm-hmm. sign, could be through eye gaze. So We're communication therapist.
1: Communication yeah.
2: therapist.
4: Yeah. Yeah. to I, Asha. Did. And I found that so helpful to use mm-hmm. visuals and like and um signs because. When I was using verbal language, all I would hear was, what, what, what? Mm -hmm. But then once I started incorporating signs and and visuals, the comprehension went way up, and it was just so helpful Mm -hmm. to do that.
6: And I think that, I mean, you're speaking about verbal kids, but I feel like Mm -hmm. for the listeners, I think to (laughs) really highlight that, like, for the kids that are still verbal, using visuals is still Mm -hmm. just as helpful as the kids who are nonverbal, and that is their pure form. Mm -hmm. I I benefit from visuals. I'm even thinking
2: of kids that
3: like who are new, like language users that are very, very young, have to still learn this process of sound. It's still very developmental. Being able to detect sound, know what that sound is, know where it is in their location. So it, this sort of process, everybody goes through. So um, we do it with our with our hearing, quote unquote, kids as well.
0: So this has been a really productive podcast episode. Um, you guys are on it. I didn't even have to ask the questions. It's <laughs> like you guys have been like prepped beforehand. Um, so we've reached that point of the show where I give you your floor time to talk about floor time. So we're going to start with Ashley.
1: Sure. So, oh, well, you said... Um, okay. In that? honor of Better Speech and Hearing Month, Even though it's June, Uh my what I think about most with floor time is relationships and community. And as a department, we, with the lemonade stand that I mentioned earlier, we really worked in building, uh, bringing the Rebecca School community together around this one shared activity um, that the kids were able to think about and plan for and um, join all together and um, have this kind of common common idea and common theme um, in the Rebecca School community and also with relationships within the department. I think it's a great month to celebrate each other and celebrate all of the hard work that we all do inside Rebecca School and outside of Rebecca School in educating our
2: What I've been thinking about most uh, recently in regard to speech and language development is interdisciplinary collaboration. I've been thinking a lot about uh, working with my occupational therapist, and I hope there are speech pathologists out there who could get inspired to collaborate more. Um, I've had students who I was struggling with figuring out what to do, and then I talked to their OT, and it's like, oh, if I put them on a beanbag chair and they're not using all of their resources to keep their core, keeping them upright, all of a sudden, words are coming out and gestures are coming out. So just thinking about ways to incorporate uh, other therapists and other professionals and families into your practice is always helpful.
3: One thing I've been trying to focus on um, this month is waiting, watching, and wondering, and giving patience for my kids. I find that this time of year, kids have learned so much and are so overloaded. Um, and we're always trying to get to the next thing, trying to get to the end of the school year, trying to get to the next, 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 next. So I've really been trying to slow myself down and hoping that slows down um, everybody in the room so we give the ch- kids a chance to show us um, what they know, what they've learned.
4: I'll just say something very sim- similar <laughs> to you. Perfect, actually. Okay? Um, How important it is to allow for processing time and to allow for the students to initiate their own ideas. It's really amazing how much you, you learn from them when you wait and allow them the the space and the time to initiate their ideas and really share their their passion. And you can really learn so much from them.
5: Um, One thing I've been thinking a lot about is the power of singing and why it's important and understanding why in terms of speech and language development it's really helpful. Um, Because I think at Rebecca School we all do a lot of singing just in terms of narrating the environment for the kids and transitioning. Um, But just really thinking about, like, why it can be really helpful and why that sort of, like, rhythmic, soothing input um, helps kids process the world around them easier in a lot of ways than if we're just kind of speaking at them um, and just kind of
6: understanding why we do it all day. I'm going to keep mine short and sweet. (laughs) I think if you're not having fun doing it, you're doing it wrong, (laughs) and you need a... Have fun. And that's
0: it. That's true. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to the Rebecca Listener. It's been Chris with the speech department, a.k.a. communications department. And we'll see you next time.
5: Bye. 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 <laughs>